absolutely. Broke a pot. There it is. Amen. Praise God. Yes, it did. And welcome, those of you who are joining us online. We've been having a fascinating conversation uh, with everybody in the room here. We've talked about everything from Bible prophecies to, to wells and to everything else. So God is good. And, and welcome, those of you who are joining us uh, online this evening. We are uh, really, really excited to have you here. And uh, if I've got a little more glow about me, praise God, uh, my daughter gave birth to our fourth grandchild, her third child, uh, this afternoon. And so we are, I say this afternoon, last night, um, uh, I got to spend some time with, uh, with her uh, this uh, early afternoon. So uh, little Amelia Grace. And so we are so thankful, mom and baby and big brother and big bro, big brothers and dad, everybody's doing well. So. Praise God. Well, amen. Let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, you're good to us and we love you. We thank you for the life and peace that we have in your name. We thank you, Jesus, that you are in us, you are with us, you are for us, you are among us, you are upon us by your Holy Spirit tonight. And I thank you that you are leading us and guiding us, uh, Holy Spirit, into the truth that you have prepared for us. That's a lot of truth, Father, a lot of truth, uh, stuff that we need uh, for our lives, uh, deep and, and wide. And so I thank you for the specific things that you'll reveal to us tonight from your Holy Word and from your Holy Spirit. Thank you for these men and women that are here. Thank you for those that are watching online. Uh, Father, it is just wildly encouraging to me, as I know it must be uh, for you, to see people who still hunger for you, who hunger for your truth and your wisdom, Lord, who, are, who desire to know your ways, to know your wisdom, uh, Father, to uh, follow Jesus and grow up into Him in all things. So, Lord, as we pray tonight, we're reminded of all the folks that you have uh, ahead for us to minister to and, to and to impact their life in some positive way for your glory. Uh, help us be better equipped to do what you've called us and created us and put us on this earth to do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. All right, so we are... Uh, this is class 23, amen, and we're continuing uh, to answer this question, what is man? And uh, we're going to get right to it uh, tonight. The first uh, answer that we have uh, come to is that man is a God class being. I want to make sure I put that title slide up because I use it uh, when I archive this. So I'll put that slide back up and then let's go through it. So what is man? The first one that we've come to is that man is a God class being. And remember, we covered this last class and class before last, is that the Word of God is a mirror, and a mirror enables you to see what you cannot see uh, without it. And what happens with a lot of folks is that they look into the mirror of the Word of God and they go, there's no way that can be me. There's no way that can be true about me. There's no way that means what that says. There's no way that this is right. And we could have more than, you know, I think I've communicated already uh, you know, some of the issues that I've had in over the past, I don't know, 20 years uh, teaching uh, man as a God class being and uh, what the scriptures say about these things. But remember, if we, if we reject this part of it, because this is fundamental, this is foundational. If we never know what we are, we'll never have a proper foundation in place to understand who we are. And if we never understand what we are and who we are, then how can we ever fully understand why we are? So you got to know where you came from. You got to know uh, your identity, your origin to understand your identity, your identity to understand um, your purpose. And so when we say that man is a God class being, this isn't for uh, certainly to argue with people. It's it's not about um, uh, you know some kind of doctrinal superiority. 
you know, it's like, well, I know what you don't know, and look at me. And I was, no, it has nothing to do with that. It, it, it's to recognize how God sees us and, and who He created us to be and, and, and why. Okay, so we've asked this question throughout many classes, which came first, man or the purpose for man? And, of course, we know from Scripture uh, that God, uh, set, let's put 2 Timothy 1.9. It's been a cornerstone verse for many classes. Uh, God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And often that phrase referring to time beginning is referring to the creation of Adam. Um, and so time as we know it, history, if you will, as, as we know it. Obviously there's ancient history recorded uh, in um, the universe, ancient history recorded even in the, in the soil of this earth. Uh, but what we have, of course, is when God created Adam. And so notice that before God created Adam, before time began as we know it, uh, God had already given you and me purpose and then grace. Grace is uh, God's gifts to us, uh, and these things were given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So you were given purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Father did not uh, create you and then try to find a purpose for you. Um, he started with a purpose and then created us in light of that purpose. So I know we've said these things in different ways so many times, but we have to understand how all of these are related. So obviously we're focusing on the, the, the answer to the question, what is man? And yet while we're doing that, we're, we keep bringing purpose and identity back onto the table because it's one thing for me to just sit here and tell you what, 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 what you are according, you know, from the Word of God and, and continue to look in that mirror. But I think it, in the same way that it helps us understand um, our purpose, if we first understand our identity and our origin, at the same time, if we keep bringing purpose onto the table as we talk about origin and identity, we'll learn these things as we go along and see how they're connected, right? So the, the number one purpose, this goes back to, to the, you know, the why, right? Why am I? Your number one purpose and highest calling in life is fellowship with God. All other purposes are not only secondary to this purpose, they are dependent upon it. And so, again, if we were just going to teach on why am I and, and our purpose, then you know, we would take this and build on it and build on it and build on it. I mention it here because it sheds light on why God created you and me as God-class beings, why He created you and me in His image and in His likeness, why He created you and me to look like He looks and to function the way He functions. He did that. Um, comparability, remember, gives way to compatibility. So we see this in 1 Corinthians 1.9. I know we rushed this last class, and I want to comment on a few things here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, that which was from the beginning. And remember, this is, this is John the Beloved. This is one of the 12 disciples. This was, I, I probably shouldn't use this terminology. I'm, I'm speaking to you as a man. Paul would sometimes say this, okay? This was Jesus' best friend on the earth, if you will. And I say that because he was, of all the disciples, um, we see that Peter, James, and John were um, the inner circle of the three. And then of Peter, James, and John, we see that John was the one that was closest to him. 
And I'm not here to make that biblical case, and you don't have to believe that to go to heaven, but I think it's, it's pretty obvious if you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that John stands out as the one who was the closest uh, to Jesus. And, um, and, and even in a, I'm not talking about anything sexual here, but in the, in the most intimate way, in the most personal way. Okay. Um, and so this is what John is saying, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, um, this life was manifested, um, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you uh, that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also, that you also. So notice what, what, what is John saying here? I, I know we went through some of this last week, but I just want to re, re, revisit it as we, as we launch forward tonight. Okay? John is basically saying that the whole reason I do what I do, that I, the, I minister and I, and I pastor and I preach and I evangelize and I do all these things, right, is so that you also may have fellowship with us. With us, remember, let us make man in our image. That's what, that's what God said. Now, now John is talking about us, okay? <laughs> and he's including himself uh, in that uh, us-ness, okay? That oneness with God. Us-ness is not a word, but amen. You, you understand where I'm coming from, right? And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. The greatest honor you will ever be given in life is the honor of invitation to have the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus the Son. You've been called into the fellowship of His Son. Not just called into fellowship with God. You've been called into the fellowship of the Son of God with God. Amen. Now, let me, let me try to give you um, a better way to understand what that means. Okay? And this is how the Lord taught it to me. How he helped me understand this. Um, when my children were growing up, of course, they're both grown now, married, and have kids of their own. We're all still very close, and I'm very thankful for that. One of the great blessings uh, of, of my life is my, is my family. Um, but, you know, when my kids, kids were growing up, they, they had friends, and uh, th those friends would, like, vacation with us. And, you know, my daughter Bethany, she met uh, her, has been her lifelong best friend in middle school. And... Um, and they're still dear, dear friends to this day. And uh, her name's Kayla. And, you know, Kayla would go on vacation with us. She got to eat with us. We, we loved having Kayla around. Uh, and she was in many ways like a daughter to me. So I had fellowship with Kayla. Are you following me? But I didn't have the same fellowship with Kayla that I had with Bethany. Bethany's my daughter. And the same is true with John Mark. I, I enjoyed spending time with and 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 doing things together with uh, my son's friends and my daughter's friends, okay? But watch this now. You ready? I didn't pay for their college, though. I didn't buy them their first car. I didn't buy Kayla her first car. I didn't pay for Kayla. Because, again, there, there is a, a, a fellowship with my offspring. Are you, are you seeing what I'm saying here? Okay. So when the Bible says you've been called into the fellowship of his son... Now, to support this, and we'll get some of these verses down the road, but for example, Romans 8 says that you are an heir of God and a joint heir or, or a co-heir together with Jesus. Adoption, somebody brought that up in the conversation we had uh, before class started. And uh, historically, 
you know, people would adopt sons, but with an, a hidden motive. They would adopt sons, but with no intention of really making that young orphan boy a son. They would do it because if they adopted him and called him a son, he became cheap labor or free labor you know, working in the fields, but he's my son. But he wasn't really a son. And so the laws were passed then that if you're going to adopt a son, you're going to have to bring that son in as a co-heir, right? So we are born of the seed of God. We are born of the seed of God. So we've been born a second time of God's seed, and we are, we are God's children, okay? But we also see then that we have a spirit of adoption where we've been adopted by God, because God didn't just adopt you for cheap labor. He adopted you because He loved you. And He remember, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. It's back to the compatibility, comparability thing. So we are an heir of God and a co-heir, joint heir with Jesus. This means everything that Jesus is entitled to from God the Father, you and I are also entitled to. And that shocks a lot of people. It's one of those things that sells over a whole lot of people's heads. You may not uh, fully understand that or, or accept that or step into that this side of heaven. But you're going to get to heaven one day and you're going to find out that it's been true the whole time. And here's one of the ways the Lord showed me how to communicate this. All right? Do you realize that only God the Father knows when He's going to one day reach over and tap Jesus on the leg and tell Him enough, go get Him. Right? The Bible says only God the Father knows that. Jesus does not know. Only God the Father knows. And I believe... That the, that the reason Jesus doesn't know it is because we're co-heirs with Jesus and that if God the Father told Jesus when He was coming back, He would also have to tell you and me. That's how, that's how serious I think God takes this. Okay, So we've been called into this fellowship with God the Father. It's what God desires from you and me the most. And certainly there are all kinds of other purposes and all kinds of other assignments but again, it's this, he created us comparable to himself so that we would be compatible with him. So your purpose coincides with your why. Your purpose coincides with your why, but it's supported by and dependent upon your who and your what. What am I? Who am I? Why am I? Now, I mentioned this, uh, I think, on last class, but I didn't, uh, I didn't give you the verse. And so... It's Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Okay? Now, don't let that word predestined freak you out. It freaks a lot of people out. If something is predestined, that means it is predetermined. It is determined beforehand. It means God decided ahead of time. Okay? And notice here what he has decided ahead of time. He decided ahead of time that according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will, you and I would obtain an inheritance. We look at other places in the Bible and we see exactly what that inheritance is. But I'm not here at this verse right now to talk about inheritance. I'm here to show you that God does things according to his own will. He, he didn't consult you and me. He didn't consult the devil he didn't consult, right? In other words, he is the one who decided to create you in his own image and in his own likeness, okay? Let us create, amen, you understand. I used the wrong pronouns there, but I think you're following along. He, he is the one who decided to put you in the position that, that he has put you in. He is the one, are you following me, who said, I didn't say it, 
Pastor Mark, you are you saying that we're... No, I'm not saying you are God's. I'm saying the Bible says. I'm saying God said it. And I, see, people don't... Well, I use, that's just controversial. That's just this. That's whatever. You know, why you want to stir people up? Why you want to confuse people? I'm not trying to stir you up. I'm not trying to confuse you. But this, I didn't say this. I didn't decide this. God said it. God decided it. This is His doings. And it's not our place to argue with Him and rebel against Him. It's our place to humble ourselves before Him and ask Him, God, what in the world are you doing? What in the, what, where do I fit into this? How, how do I respond to this? What do you want me to say about this, God? What does this mean? Not, no, it can't be true. must be a misunderstanding. must be a misinterpretation. Must, no, so again, that's, that's, that's not submitting to. That's rebelling against. So you're, you were created by God. And here's one thing, again, this goes back to purpose. But you were created by God to bear His image in this created realm. There's a reason why God says that no graven image. God does not want to be represented. Matter of fact, He forbids people to represent Him in stone or wood or metal statues and idols because he's not a stone or wood or metal god he is a living breathing god and he wants his image to be bore in this created realm by living breathing people are you following me now again i'm I'm not here necessarily to teach on that that goes more into the why category but it, it helps reinforce now what god was thinking when he created you and me in, in, in the image and likeness of God. Because how could we ever bear his image in the created realm? And by the way, if, if we get to there, some of this stuff, I mean, 23 weeks, we've got 13 left. Are you kidding me, man? It's going by so fast. So i got to watch what I say we're going to get to later because some of this stuff we may not have time to get to. But listen, you're students of the word. The Bible talks about how we've bore the image of the man of dust. We bore the image of fallen man. But that was not our destiny. Our destiny was to bear the image of God. Jesus, again, came as the last Adam to reveal to you and me what the first Adam was supposed to be and do, but failed to be and do. And that's the example that we're to follow. And Jesus was so bold, He said this in John chapter 14, If you've seen me, you've seen God. Well, Ephesians 5.1 says for you and me to be imitators of God as dear children. <laughs> wow. Wow. So do you see why the enemy, do you see why Satan is not only so jealous of you and me, but he tries so hard to get men and women who walk on this earth, bearing the image of God in this earth, to do ungodly things. To, to besmirch, is that a word? The, 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 not just the name of God, but the image of God. For beings created in the image of God to judge one another and, and be violent towards one another. And to, and, and to, are, you know, that's the devil's work. That's the devil's doings there. See, what we also see in Scripture, and again, you were cre- this goes to the why, but you were created by God to rule and reign over all the works of His hands. And if you hadn't put two and two together yet, angels, including the fallen ones, are among the works of Father's hands. They're created beings. God created them. And He's given you and me authority to rule and reign over all the works of His hands. Everything that His hands created, He's put you and me over. See, you were created by God to know what what God knows, to see what God sees, 
and to feel what God feels. You were created by God to have close, intimate fellowship and union with Him. You were created by God to love Him, to be loved by Him, to have conversations with Him, to give your life to Him and receive His life in you. You were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be one with God. And of course, what we know is that as a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that God is a relational God. God is an eternal community. God is a fellowship. In other words, um, God is the ultimate fellowship. Amen. And you were created by God in the image and likeness of God to be brought into this fellowship with God. I like to say it this way, the Holy Trinity is an eternal community, an eternal community that exists in absolute communion. And you and I were created by God to join, to join and be a part of this holy community. Yes, sir. God the Father. Mm. I, thank you, brother. Eternal community. Eternal community. And if you're already written it in ink, I like to, when I write this or type it, I like to capitalize the E and the C. Okay? okay? And eternal community. They're the original fellowship. Right? Before there was ever a human being for us to have fellowship with, there was God. Right? And God is an eternal community that exists in absolute communion. We, we hear communion, we think the, the, the wafer and the juice, you know, like the Lord's Supper. Think common union. Common union. So community, simply defined, is a group of people existing together. A more in-depth definition is a unified group of people with shared attitudes, shared goals, uh, living and working together for one another's mutual interests and benefits. That's a community. All right? Now I know I'm going fast here, but think about... I'm more interested in you understanding the concept than writing down every word that I say, okay? Please, it honors me. You do not know, you do not know how much it honors me that you're taking notes, okay? Because that shows you value what the Holy Spirit is, is teaching us and saying to us. All right, so please, please, I'm not telling you not to take notes, but I've been guilty of this myself. I've been so focused on taking notes when people are speaking that I'm missing exactly what, they, what you know what I'm saying? So we've got to try to find that balance, amen? We've got to try to find that balance. So before you write any definitions down, let's just think about... Let's think about a community like uh, this local community here in Hueytown. Okay? So members of the community here, uh, it's a city, right? But it's still a community. Notice now that we pay taxes, which go towards things like uh, maintaining the roads that provide for uh, paramedics and first responders and and again, for, for everyone's mutual interest and benefit. Now, a community, though, is only as strong as the contribution of its individual members. So if nobody in Hueytown paid taxes, <laughs> if no stores collected sales tax, then there would, be, there would be no services for the mutual benefit uh, and interest of the members of the community, Right? So this is how Satan tries to weaken the community that is the body of Christ, also known as the church. you got a lot of people who come, 
but they, they don't necessarily want to. And when I say contribute, I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about their talents, their skills, their abilities, what they, what they, what they bring to the table, so to speak. Okay? So, again, community simply defined is a group of people existing together. But a community is more than that. It's, it, it has to do with unity. It has to do with shared attitudes and goals. It has to do with people living and working together. But again, for one another's mutual interests and benefits. So communion, again simply defined, is an act or an instance of sharing. Sharing. So again, God is an eternal community existing in absolute communion and you were created, so here, here I said all that to say this, you were created by a community for community. Okay? <laughs> right? Do you see why the devil tries so hard to get us to isolate ourselves? Remember, we talked about this now. Let's, let's bring it back up. When it was just God and Adam, God says, Adam, this isn't cool. I mean, I put the cool part in there myself. This isn't good is what God said. I mean, you know, just... I'm being silly here and I say this, but you think about Adam, like, you know, having God all to himself. <laughs> it's like, well, God, it's pretty cool to me, God. You know what I'm saying? He goes, yeah, but you ain't seen a woman yet, son. Right? It's like, <laughs> you're fixing to find out something here, right? Amen. But again, right, he's, this, this isn't good. Because we were created by a community for community. And this is why Satan tries so hard to separate us from community. What if you were to look at every hurt, every wound, every nasty thing anybody's ever said about you, done to you, hurt you, offended you? That's really the key word there, offense that leads to unforgiveness, that puts down a root of bitterness, that causes many to be defiled. What if you were to look at all of that as Satan trying to manipulate you to respond by isolating yourself and separating yourself from community? Just how many people don't go to church anymore because I used to go, but they hurt my feelings? Well... You know, that's, that's kind of the challenge though, right? Is that, you know, we need people, but people hurt us. And, that, and that's the devil's work. But we, this is why we've got to forgive, right? We've got to not judge, amen? And, and we've got to show mercy. Are you with me? Because the alternative is for the devil to win by isolating and separating and dividing us. Amen. Now, when we talk about community, again, we grow together in the community. We grow together in the community. There are people who've been to this class in the room, people who've watched it online, and they say, you know, I enjoy it online, Pastor Mark. It was nothing like being in the room. And I'm not saying that to discourage people from watching online, but there's nothing like being in the room. Why? Because we're in a community in the room. Are you following me? We're, we're all experiencing this together. We're, we're hearing this together. We're receiving this together. And it, and it creates an atmosphere. It creates a dynamic that can't be replicated through uh, airwaves. It, I mean, it just can't, right? And, and if it could be, then God wouldn't say, uh, assemble yourselves together. Because God knew about the Internet long before the first computer was ever created, right? He would have said something like this. Look, you guys, as long as you... Um, this is one of my pet peeves. I need to hush this real quick. Right? But it's just like, it wasn't like God said, look, you know, uh, as, as, as long as you guys, you know, have, listen, once you get past dial up internet, you know, uh, you, you can stop assembling together because the internet will take it from there. No, it's not what he said. Right? Anybody remember dial up? 
<laughs> you're sitting there going, oh, is this ever going to come up? You know, so obviously that wouldn't support uh, uh, what we're doing right now. Um, but no, matter of fact, he said just the opposite. He said the closer you get to the end, you need to be even more diligent to assemble yourselves together. It's the plan of God. It's the plan of God. Listen, think about some of the things that you may have struggled with in the past that you got, uh, you shook loose from, but wound up going back to. If you, if you look at it really carefully, um, the, the, the journey back into something you said you would never be back into again began with isolation. It began with, with, with Satan trying to, to use what other people do. Baby, See, this is why you, you see the Apostle Paul who was, I mean, had the revelation from the Holy Spirit of God about our freedom, about we're not under the law, but what was the one thing, man, that he just over and over again hammered that you should never let your freedom become a stumbling block for somebody else, especially a baby Christian, right? So, again, the devil will use, and one of his number one attack is where we get offended, where we get offended, right? And... Um, you can't, listen, especially those of you in here who, who are really serious about ministry, you can't wear your feelings on your sleeve if you're going to be effective in ministry. I've told you this before. I was meditating just in my own life about some other things. From, <laughs> I have to remind myself of these things, right? You can't let the people who reject you, you don't let the people who reject you keep you from reaching the ones who want you and need you. But again, if you're not careful, you let p people's rejection of you and, and, uh, and what have you separate you. And again, that's, that, you were created by a community for community. So this means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist united together. They each have the same attitude of love and admiration towards one another, and they work together to accomplish the same goals and interests. Just think about how they work together for our benefit. <laughs> and uh, listen to me saying that past tense. Are working together for our own interest and benefits. All right. Let me, let me try to give you some examples of this. There's really two key ones in the Scripture. We find it in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay? And I didn't put any of those verses up there, did I? Praise God. All right. Um, I'll put them back on the screen for those watching online. So that's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. And of course, we... You know, a lot of us are familiar with these verses, um, but I think sometimes what we don't always notice is how in these verses we have God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. And a lot of times we, we miss God the Son, but remember, He is the Word of God. So Father spoke, Jesus is the Word, and the Holy Spirit is hovering over the chaotic mess that was earth to perform the Word of God in that situation. Are you with me? Okay, now let's look at another one. Mark chapter 1, 9, 10, and 11. I'll just go ahead and put all three of verses up there. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, that's John the Baptist now, not John the Beloved. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him, Jesus, like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's a little easier to see here, isn't it? Jesus 
is submitting himself to the will of God, being baptized by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit is descending upon Jesus, empowering him uh, to fulfill the mission that he has been sent uh, to fulfill here upon the earth. And then you've got Father God speaking words of affirmation and encouragement from heaven. You see them working together there. A little easier to see in, uh, in Mark chapter 1 than it is to see it in Genesis 1. But it's in both of these passages. We see all three members of this eternal community working together. I think it's interesting that we see it, first of all, uh, in the creation of the world. And then in the Mark chapter 1 passage, um, we see them working together to redeem the world that they created. And by the way, the word hover in the original language means to flutter, to flutter. And so we see the Holy Spirit hovering or fluttering over the face of the deep, waiting for God to give the word so that he could then, as the, as the agent of power, uh, produce what it is that, that God said. Okay? And, but then we see completely different with the dove, but again, the dove flutters down and lights upon his shoulders. You can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you, it's God. It's God working together. So there are three parties active in the creation of the world. God, God's Spirit, and God's Word, through which He creates. The same three parties are present at Jesus' baptism. The Father who is the voice, the Son who is the Word, and the Spirit fluttering over Him like a dove. So we have God in three persons, but let's not lose sight of the fact that it's one God in three persons who know and love one another. They know and love one another. Okay? So Jesus comes out of the water completing an act of obedience to the Father. And let's, let's stop. I, man, there's so many things. Oh, praise God. Let's talk for a minute about why Jesus was baptized. Listen, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life, especially when I was younger, that the Holy Spirit was dealing with me about going to the altar about some things, getting some things straight, repenting for some things, right? But um, I talked myself out of doing it uh, because of what people might think about me. <laughs> Come on now, probably, no, probably nobody in this room but me has ever had that experience, right? What, what people think. So can you imagine, like Jesus, who actually has never sinned, he's going to go and be baptized by John the Baptist? A baptism of repentance? I mean, that's, that's kind of odd there. I, mean, I don't want to drill too deep down to this, but repentance doesn't mean stop sinning. It means a new condition of mind. And, of course, Jesus is changing his mindset and focus from local businessman and carpenter to savior of the world. So there is some repentance there in that aspect of, of a new way of looking at things and a new way of approaching life. And you know, him stepping out from the obscurity, if you will, of the cabinet shop onto the stage of human events. But there's another, I think, more beautiful reason why Jesus was baptized. And when John the Baptist said, oh, no, 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 I'm not baptizing you. You need to baptize me. I'm not even worthy to, to, to tie your shoes. And Jesus says, John, you have to do it. Watch this now. You have to do it so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. So that all righteousness might be fulfilled. You see, you'll never understand why Jesus allowed himself to be baptized by John unless you fully understand that one of Jesus' great assignments on this earth was to establish a record of righteousness for you and me. What Jesus did on this earth as a man, he didn't just do it for you, he did it as you. Amen. And we see that Jesus now has a spotless record of doing everything that God the Father instructed him to do and without any act of disobedience. 
And so when we now, as born-again believers, we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Follow me now. That means when Father God looks at you, He doesn't see you as a sinner who's been forgiven because the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is the standard of righteousness from one who lived on this earth as a human being for 33 years without sin. So when we were made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, when Father God looks at you, I mean, He doesn't see a forgiven sinner or even a sinner who's sins have been taken away. He sees you and me as one who has never sinned. Jesus made you justified. He justified you. Justified means just as if I've never sinned. That's justified, right? Getting stirred up now, starting to preach. All right. Okay. So when Jesus, I like to say it this way, he took the blame and punishment for everything you've ever done wrong, I've ever done wrong, and then turned around and gave you and me the credit and the reward for everything he did right. Let me simplify it another way. As those who have been given an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus established, not as the eternal Son of God sitting on the throne next to His Father, but the righteous record that He established as a human being living in this present evil world without sin. Right? That's the record that you have. He purged the old record of sin and, and gave you and me credit for his record, which means what? Which means as far as Father God is concerned, I answered John the Baptist, I answered John the Baptist's uh, uh, altar call and I was baptized by John the Baptist. Are you following me? That's a little heavy there. When he said so that all righteousness might be fulfilled, Jesus wasn't being baptized for himself. He was being baptized for you and me. That's how thorough Father God looks at this. Let me say it another way. All the sins that ever been committed on planet earth, one of the sins was thinking John the Baptist was a nut job and making fun of him and laughing at him like people do a lot of times, preachers on TV and stuff like that today because they don't understand him because they don't, don't know where he's coming from. The Bible says be careful speaking against things you don't understand. There's a lot of people who speak against God's ministers You do not, please listen to me. You do not want to be in those shoes. If you don't understand it, keep your mouth shut. Just keep your mouth shut. Amen. I I get so irritated, man. People want to run down Joel Osteen and Kenneth Copeland and and all. You don't know them people. You don't know what God's told them to do. All Joel Osteen does is encourage people. When did encouraging people become a bad thing? And a lot of that's preachers who are jealous that they don't have a church that'll fit inside of an NBA arena. Am I right about it? Okay, I'm going to shut it up. Okay. <clears throat> See, of all the sins that were committed, refusing John's message was one of them. Jesus didn't refuse it. He wouldn't let John baptize him. Not to make himself right before God in the eyes of God, to make you and me right before God in the eyes of God. What humility. What humility our beautiful Savior displayed in that situation. So what we're seeing here, this, can I get a little, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'm getting heavy or getting far out on you. Can, can, I get, can we, what we're seeing, this microcosm, Jesus Humble act of obedience to His Father. The Holy Spirit jumping in there and empowering Jesus to live 
on this earth as a man and fulfill his father's will. God the Father speaking from heaven. If you were there that day, you would have... Listen, I've never heard the audible voice of God. But that inward still... This was not a still small inward voice. People heard God the Father speak, right? Words of love, words of encouragement, words of affirmation. That's my boy. That's my son. Right? This microcosm, listen to me. You're getting a glimpse into what I call reality. This is the God who created this world. This is the God who created you and me and put us in this world. This is the God who is love. He doesn't have love. He is love. And he's got so much of it, he wanted to share it. Amen. Let me, I, I've been bringing these in here the last three weeks. I'm, I'm going to kind of skirt through some of this, but there's some of this in here that others who have come before me have put it in better words than I can say of myself, and so I'd just rather read it to you what they said, okay? Um, one is uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, okay? C.S. Lewis, he says, Christians believe that the living dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. And that, by the way, is perhaps the most important difference between Christianity and all other religions. That in Christianity, God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life. Remember, God's not a man. We've got to understand this now. We were created as image and likeness, but God is not a man. We try to understand God as a man. God is a, God is a being above man. Amen. So God is not a static thing, not even a person, but a dynamic pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a kind of dance. Anybody ever heard this before? And now, what does it all matter? It matters more than anything else in the world. The whole dance or drama or pattern of this three-personal life is to be played out in each one of us, or putting the other way around, each one of us has got to enter that pattern, take this place in that dance. There is no other way to happiness for the for there is no other way to the happiness for which we were made. Here is a uh, one of the older scholars, Cornelius Plantinga, he develops this thought further. He says that the Bible says the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they glorify one another. Think about this for a minute. Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do my Father's will. I'm not here to tell you what I think. I'm here to tell you what He says. Jesus didn't come to promote Himself. Jesus came to promote and point everyone to His Father. And then Jesus told us before he left, he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, guess what? He ain't going to talk about himself. He's going to talk about me. Are you, are you seeing the pattern here? Holy Spirit, he's not going to draw attention to himself. He's not going to tell you what he thinks, his opinions, all this other stuff. His, his sole purpose is going to be to point you to me. And Jesus is saying, and my sole purpose is to point you to my Father. And then he says that we would go forth and live the life that God created us to live, raise us from the dead to live, so that then the lifestyle that we live would be living proof of a living God. Amen? And that all people would know by your life and by my life and by our testimony that, that, that Jesus is who he says he is and that Father God sent him into this world. Are you, are you following this? Oh, sweet Jesus, I get stirred up about this now. 
So the persons within God exalt each other. They commune with each other. They defer. They defer to one another. Have you read anywhere in the Bible about our deferring to and preferring others ahead of ourselves? Amen. God's not asking, listen to me. He's not asking you to do anything that he hasn't done himself for all of eternity. Who did he prefer when he sent Jesus to the cross? He preferred you and me over his own son. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. This is where C.S. Lewis got this idea of a dance. That, they're, that, that, that we, we say it this way, she thinks the world revolves around her. Anybody ever heard that? And a lot of people are trying to live their lives that way. <laughs> trying to live their lives that way. They want everything to revolve around them. That's the exact opposite to how God created us to live. Jesus does not demand that God the Father and God the Spirit revolve around Him. He lives to revolve around them. They live to revolve around Him and, and, and each member of the Godhead. So that's where this, this whole concept of encircling one another or revolving around one another, this is where C.S. Lewis got this idea of the interior life of God being a dance. God's interior life, therefore, overflows. God's interior life. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The interior life, therefore, of God overflows with regard for others. Mm -mm -mm. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are each centering on the others, adoring and serving them. And because the Father, Son, and the Spirit are giving glorifying love to one another, God is infinitely and profoundly happy. Think about this. If you find somebody you adore, someone for whom you would do anything, and you discover that this person feels the same way about you, does that not feel good? It's sublime. That's what God has been enjoying for all eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are pouring love and joy and adoration into the other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely uh, seeking one another's glory, and so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true that this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality, as C.S. Lewis says, is a dance. Now, I put this part in here just in all bold. Beware of self-centeredness. <laughs> See, this is how the devil wants us to live, right? He wants us to live a self-centered life. This is the opposite to how God designed your life to work. It's the opposite to what you are. All right, praise God. My computer defaulted to double-sided, and I don't usually do that. So, so Lewis says the Trinity, uh, he calls the Trinity a dance because they each center upon an orbit around the others. Selfishness born of pride puts you at the center and demands that everything revolve or orbit around you. Timothy Keller said it this way in comments to these things. He says, imagine 10 people on a stage and each one, 10 ballerinas, 10 a dance troupe, right? And each one demanding that the others dance around them. So what's happening there, right? Everybody's just standing there with their arms folded. But that's, that's not how it works, right? In, 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 if a dance troupe is going to dance, they're going to revolve and work around one another. Are y'all okay or am I, am I way out on a limb here? Y'all still with me? 
Let's go a little further into this. So the Trinity is utterly different. Instead of self-centeredness, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are characterized in their very essence by mutually self-giving love. No person in the Trinity insists that the others revolve around Him. Rather, each of them voluntarily circles and orbits around the others. If this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like... I want to say that about 17 more times. If this is ultimate reality, if this is what the God who made the universe is like, then this truth bristles and explodes with life-shaping, glorious implications for us. If this world was made by a triune God, relationships of love are what life is really all about. Now, Lewis points out that the only way it's possible for God to be love is for God to be more than one person, for love can only exist in a relationship. But if from all of... But if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality is about, again, loving relationships. Now, let me see how much more of all this we're going to try to get to. This one right here. I, I maybe could have just read this and that would have been enough. Some would say, well, he created the world so he can have beings who give him worshipful love. And that would then give him joy. So do you see, this is how people kind of rationalize this. But the triune God already had that. Are you seeing this? Mm-hmm. He, he, he already had worshipful love. And he received love within himself in a far purer, more powerful form than we human beings can ever give him. So why would he create us? There's only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy but to give it. He must have created us to invite us into the dance to say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you are made for. You were made not just to believe in me or to be spiritual in some general way, not to just pray and get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You were made to center everything in your life on me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship to me. God speaking here, of course, to serve me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. Are you in the dance or do you just believe God is out there somewhere? Are you in the dance or do you just pray to God ever so often when you're in trouble? Are you in the dance or are you looking around for someone to orbit around you? If life is a divine dance then you need more than anything else to be in it. That's what you're built for. You're made to enter into a divine dance with the Trinity. The dance was not created for you, but you were created for it. We were created by God to love like He loves. If He is love, how can we bear His image and do any less? Just put it in perspective now, right? Now, I'm not much of a dancer. I tend to dance at my children's weddings, and that's about it, okay? But can you imagine me trying to dance with my Yorkie? <laughs> Say it won't work. It won't work. I'm not going to hold him and try to dance or something, okay? I mentioned this first a moment ago. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children 
And because God is love, how do we go about imitating God? And walk in love, verse 2, as Christ also has loved us and given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. One of the key areas that fellowship differs from relationship is relationship involves sharing. The standard of relationship is, or I could say it this way, the gold standard of relationship is, is sharing, okay? And again, we go deeper into this, but Jesus did not come to share himself with you. He came to give himself for you and then to give himself to you. There's a big, big difference there. A big, big difference there. And so again, that's the example of God. And now we're told to follow that, to follow that, Example. Let's go to Matthew 5 and look a little closer at what some of that may actually look like, okay? Matthew 5, let's go 44. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. You guys hanging in here okay? All right, it's about 10 after 6. These classes go by fast. Super duper fast, praise God. All right, does it feel like an hour already gone by? This? No, maybe? Okay. If it felt like three hours, don't, don't, don't say nothing. It hurt my feet. No, I'm just kidding. I'll get offended and leave. No, I won't. Okay. All right. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. This is Jesus speaking, right? Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now, let me, let me stop here for a moment. <clears throat> One of the reasons people don't understand this verse is they don't understand the different words in the original language that are translated into the word love. When we hear the word love, what we often think of is what would biblically be philo, okay, P-H-I-L-E-O, all right? And Philo would be like warm, fond, affectionate feelings for another person. And of course, Philadelphia gets from this Greek root, right? City of brotherly love, right? City of love, okay. And so when we only understand love from that perspective, when Jesus says, love your enemies, we hear an impossibility. But he didn't say, philo your enemies. He said, agape your enemies. And agape is a different kind of love. Agape is when you choose to love as an act of your will. Has nothing to do with feelings. Has nothing to do with emotions. If it, as a matter of fact, you could agape someone that you actually have negative feelings towards. Okay? Because again, what are you doing? You're choosing to love them. You're choosing to be kind to them. You're choosing to forgive them. Forgiving someone who's wronged you is not endorsing their behavior. To forgive someone who's hurt you is not you saying, okay, what you did is, is okay and take another shot anytime you want. That's not forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is saying, you know what, what you did was wrong, but I choose to not hold that against you in my heart ever again. Now, this person may receive that forgiveness from you or they may not. But notice now what you've just done. You, you have released yourself uh, from that hurt and from that wound. So he says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. Now, remember the context of this is be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He's not talking about this is what you got to do to be saved. Think about a chip off the old block. That you may reflect Him. That you may represent Him. Um, the joke uh, in, in our family is that, um, and my, my covenant son Jake, he's fine with that. But uh, evidently my daughter's genes are pretty strong because all, all of her babies so far look just like her. Okay. Um, and so he's talking about this, again, back to this bearing the, the image of God, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, because God loves people who never look His way. God loves people who deny that He exists. Jesus died for God's enemies, right? We, we sometimes think the greatest demonstration of love was when Jesus died on the cross. Um, and, and while that was a tremendous demonstration of love, that's just the love God has for His enemies. He goes on to say in Romans 5, if He did that for you while you were an enemy of God, how much more now does He love you that you've been reconciled uh, to God by His life, by the life of Jesus? Let's keep going here. Verse number 46, we'll keep reading here. 46, 47, and 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only... What do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay? Now you're thinking perfect like Father in heaven is perfect. Again, remember, perfect means full circle. Perfect means completing uh, the uh, intended goal. So according to this, the intended goal is for us to love like God loves. Are you seeing this? For us to show the kind of love to other people that God has already uh, given to and shown to us. Do you see how forgiving other people are, is connected to our receiving forgiveness from God? And Jesus taught us about this, right? That you know, we, we're going to hold on to uh, uh, unforgiveness and refusing to forgive other people who've wronged us while at the same time expecting God to forgive us for wronging him and it, and it just simply doesn't work that way all right now praise the name of the living God there there is so much stuff here let me try to I want to get to number two tonight and I think we're going to be able to let's let's go a lot of reasons why we could turn to this verse let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 and 23 there's a prayer this is the actual the the ending of a prayer that begins in verse 17. And um, we, could, we could spend three classes literally on that one prayer. There's so much in that. I would encourage you to familiarize yourself with that prayer. That prayer is in uh, Becoming a Threat to Addiction, and, and there's some explanation for it. Um, but at the end of this prayer, I'm not here to teach on the prayer tonight. I'm here for another reason, this verse for another reason. And the verse reads, And He, Jesus, I'm sorry, and He, God the Father, put all things under His feet. So God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus to be head, Him to be head, over all things to the church. Notice verse 22 ends with a comma. 
If you didn't look it up, you can see it on the screen behind me or on, on the, uh, if you're watching online. Given him to be head over all things to the church, comma, and then verse 23 begins with a lowercase w. So when this was originally written, you may know this, but let me remind you or teach you if you didn't know, the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. These are letters inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they were written just like you would write a letter. But later we came back and put chapter and verse in it so that we can all turn and look at these things uh, you know, simultaneously. So notice then that the thought from verse 22 con continues, carries over to verse 23, given to be head over all things to the church, comma, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, I want to take the number 23 out and isolate this one phrase, and I want you to see what he's saying here. The church, the ecclesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, that's you and me, the called out ones, all right? The church, comma, which is his body. The church, comma, which is his body. So we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. Not just metaphorically or uh, whatever those were. I get metaphor and simile and all that stuff. You understand what I mean? It's not just a figurative uh, expression. It's a literal expression. Matter of fact, let me share the literal with you. Ephesians 5 and 30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. In Acts, the 22nd chapter, you don't have to turn there, but in Acts 22, we see that uh, this is where uh, maybe um, you've read it, where uh, Saul was an enemy of the church. He was on the road to Damascus to have more... Christians arrested and punished, thrown into jail. He'd already overseen uh, the, the execution of uh, martyrdom of, of Stephen. And he, the Bible says he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. And, of course, uh, he got knocked off his high horse, literally, on the road to Damascus. And he says, uh, uh, who, are you, who art thou, Lord? <laughs> He's like, um, I don't know who you are, but you're God. I know you're God. Who are you? And he says this, listen very carefully, Jesus answers, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus, I'm sorry, let me, I don't like, I got the verse right here. I am Jesus, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, I am Jesus, why are you persecuting my followers? I'm Jesus, why are you persecuting Christians? I'm Jesus, why are you persecuting people who just want to, you know, get along with everybody and, and, and no, no, notice he says, why are you persecuting me? Well, Saul's like, I'm persecuting you, I'm persecuting you. But see, Jesus doesn't see it any different. Are you following me now? He doesn't see it any different. Why are you persecuting me? Wow. So you, I'm again, making the, clay, the case, God class being one with God. One with Jesus, the body of Christ. One head, many members. That's what a human body is. One head, many members. The Bible says so also is Christ. We could go on for days and days and days. There's so many things in the Bible that cover this. But I'm at least trying to get you to the point to where you say, okay, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to agree with this. I'm a God-class being. Because you are. Created the image and likeness of God as He is, so are we in this world. Do you see it even more clearly now? Why are you persecuting me of His body, uh, of His flesh, and of His bones, members of His body? Yes? Okay. All right. Well, then let's, uh, let's take a 
another step forward then. So what is man? Number one is what we've been on now for the last couple of weeks. Man is a God-class being. Number two, man is a spirit being. What are you? You are a spirit being. You are a spirit being. Now, obviously, I've already spoiled the game and we really wouldn't have time to play it, but if I were to ask you to make a list of all the different kinds of spirit beings, would you place yourself on the list? I've actually asked people to do this before. And they put answers like God, they put angels, they put demons. And that's right, God is a spirit. Angels are spirit beings. Demons are spirit beings. They're fallen angels. But rarely, if ever, do people put themselves on the list. But you, my friend, are a spirit being. You're a God-class being, and you are. What is man, mankind? What are we? We are spirit beings. Spirit beings. Now, if you remember when Adam sinned, if you remember when Adam sinned, he tried to cover himself and hide himself because he was naked. Okay? And what actually happened in that moment is Adam became aware of his physical body. Before Adam sinned, he was so aware that he was a spirit that he didn't realize that he had a body. Now, we've already covered this when we talked about the Apostle Paul going to the third heaven. But if you remember, when he went to heaven, he wasn't sure if his body went with him or not because he was so spiritually conscious that he had no comprehension or consciousness, if you will, of his flesh. So he didn't know if his body was there or not. Now, we look at this and we like, how in the world could Adam not know he has a body. That don't make sense to me, Pastor Mark. Well, let's flip it, okay? Because we've gone so far away from God's original design that you have many, many people living on planet Earth who don't know they are a spirit or even have a spirit, right? So again, Adam was a spirit that didn't know he had a body. We, we are spirits that don't know we, we are a spirit or have a spirit. We, we think only in terms of having a body, you with me still? Okay. Now, Satan is hoping that you never see yourself as a spirit being. So I'm just going to tell you, get, just brace yourself because the enemy, he gets stirred up. He tries to distract us. Here we are towards the end of a class. We're getting tired. Hadn't been up all day. Got this, got that. Okay. I understand all that, but let, let me just go ahead and tell you. The devil doesn't want you to ever understand this aspect of what you are. You are a spirit being. Far too many people see themselves, I think I said this in class on Monday morning, far too many people see themselves as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. The reality is you are a spirit being experiencing a physical reality. Did you pick that up now? We see ourselves as a, as a physical being and now we're trying to have some kind of contact with something beyond ourselves. And... and a lot of that is holy and a lot of it is unholy. Things that people do, drugs they take, things they smoke, mushrooms, acid, all this other stuff. So we're trying to have some kind of spiritual experience, man. We're trying to experience something spiritual, something otherworldly, dude. That's rad, right? You know, it's the whole idea. See, we're going about it all wrong. The devil's got people so confused because they think they're a physical body, physical being, trying to have some kind of spiritual experience. When the actual truth is, you are a spirit being living in a physical reality. 
Now, let me give you some verses, and we got a few, okay? The first one is in John chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh, Jesus speaking, is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's talking about being born again. And one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons the devil never wants you to understand that you are a spirit is because if you never understand that you are a spirit, there's going to be whole sections of the Bible that will never make sense to you. And when Jesus says to Nicodemus, a very highly educated religious leader, you must be born again, he scratched his head and said, how can a man when he's full grown go back to his mother's womb and be born a second time? Because again, Nicodemus saw himself as a physical being trying to have a spiritual experience. And Jesus wasn't talking about his body being born again. He wasn't talking about his soul being born again. He was talking about his spirit being born again. How about this one? James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is an important verse that we often turn to to learn and understand more about faith, but it also has other merit and other value here. Because notice he says the body, the flesh, without the spirit is dead. So the body doesn't give life to the spirit. The spirit gives life to the body. How about this one? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Wow. So our flesh was formed from what? The dust of the earth. There's one word that I want you to think of more than any other word when you hear the word death, and that word is separation. separation. Death is separation. So when... The dust will return to the earth as it was. He's talking about the body. But the spirit is going to live forever or die forever somewhere. You do not want, you do not want your spirit and soul to separate from your body with the wrath of God still on you because you haven't received Jesus for yourself and what he did for you freely on this earth as a man. You're, you're in serious eternal trouble. If that happens, how about this one? I like this one, man. Acts chapter 7, verse 59. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen was a deacon in the uh, beginning days of the church. Godly man, powerful man. Uh, not the image I think a lot of people have of a church deacon. <laughs> Come on, man. Ooh, don't get me started on that, right? Amen. Um, he was a godly man, full of faith, full of power, the Bible says. And, um, and he stirred up some religious devils. And Paul was one of them. Saul, now we know him as Paul. And they stoned him to death. Uh, Saul, a Pharisee, before he got born again on the road to Damascus, the Bible says that he held their coats so they could throw the rocks harder, basically. Wouldn't get their clothes dirty while they stoned this man to death. The Bible says that his face was as the face of an angel when they were, when they were killing him. And he, and, he, and he asked God to forgive them for what they were doing to him, Stephen. And then he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, once Stephen's spirit separated from his body, which we would call being dead, and was received by the Lord, somebody tell me, where was Stephen? Was he laying on the ground? No. No. 
Was that him laying there battered and lifeless and big knots and bruises? No, that, of course not. That wasn't him. How about this one? Luke chapter 8 and verse 55. Jesus praying for the little girl to be raised from the dead. I think it was Jairus' daughter in this account. It says, Then her spirit returned. Her spirit returned. So she's laying there graveyard dead. Laying there, literally, she's laying there dead. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And the people who were wailing and crying went, all of a sudden turned it on a dime, went to laughing and making fun. And Jesus told them to get out. Right? And so he raised this little girl from the dead. But what did he, what, you know, this breaks it down, what really happened. Her spirit returned. Or we can say it this way, she returned. And she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. How about this one? This is another one of my favorites. Second, I got a lot of favorites on this. Okay, Let's go, 2 Corinthians. If I can get it figured out here, praise God. Oh, there we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. For we walk by faith, not by sight. For we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now, we could go on and on and on with this. The Bible identifies this physical body that you are living in now. Because you're a spirit, you're not a body. This body that you are living in now, the Bible calls this one a tent. A tent is what? It's a temporary dwelling place. Portable and temporary. But that we have a house. I'm not talking about the mansion. I'm talking about the body that God has prepared for you in heaven. He calls that your, your house. This one being temporary, the eternal immortal one being a house. In other words, a permanent dwelling place. So if we're going to build this out, what we really understand from Scripture is that you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. I've heard it explained this way. If we were to get aboard um, a rocket ship and go beyond this Earth's gravity into outer space, in order to survive in that environment, we would have to have a space suit. Are you following me? You can't, you know, space walk without a space suit. So I think it would serve us well to begin to think of our body as our earth suit. It was taken from the earth. And if you are going to exist on this planet, you've got to exist in a suit taken from the earth. When I take this shirt off later uh, this evening, and if I don't, I don't know why I kept going back and forth, I was going to say this. If any of you have thought, didn't he have that on yesterday? You would be absolutely correct, okay? Because <laughs> I have not been home. Amen. All right. Did I mention my daughter went into labor, right? Uh, actually, she went for a checkup and her water broke, so, uh, but praise God. Um, and so we've been keeping grandbabies, amen, grandsons at their house. So anyway, praise God. I did take a shower, okay? But anyway, uh, if you hug me, I might try to hug you like this, though. But no, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, when I take this shirt off tonight and put it in the dirty clothes, right, okay, um, the, the, the sleeve's not going to move anymore. The only reason this sleeve's moving right now is because my arm is in it. 
Are you with me? And the only reason this arm is moving right now is because I'm in this body. I'm inside this body looking out at you from inside this body. So the devil doesn't like this. He doesn't want people to think like this um, because he tries to manipulate our flesh and use it against us. Spirit's willing, flesh is weak is why the disciples had such a hard time praying when Jesus was trying to get them to pray the night he was arrested. So I want to, listen now, I'm not trying to tell you what to write down, what not to write down, but you might want to write this down right here, okay? This and remember this and go over this and remind yourself of this because we have become so indoctrinated into thinking of ourselves as a flesh only or flesh first. See, the devil doesn't mind you splashing around, toying around with some spirituality, some spiritual things, right? A spiritual component. We've got some spiritual elements. You know, what I'm saying? You know all these words that we use, right? God of our choosing, um, uh, higher power, you know. Just, just go ahead and talk about all that stuff you want to talk about, right? But don't you ever get beyond that, right? So, again... If, if we think in terms of spirit at all, the devil, matter of fact, the devil, if you think in terms of spirit at all, he wants you to think spooky, right? Something spooky, something weird, something, you know, whatever, right? All right, so again, doesn't want you to know this because he makes his living by deceiving and manipulating our flesh. Remember when, when uh, Father God cursed uh, Satan, serpent, he was in the serpent, and told the serpent, he said, you know, from this day forward, you're going to crawl on your belly and you're going to eat what? You're going to eat dirt. You're going to eat dust. What was our flesh made from? Dust. See, that's, what the, that's how Satan tries to manipulate us. He tries to, to find weaknesses in our, in our flesh. He don't care what it is. He tries to find that. If it's sex, if it's food, if it's drugs, if it's alcohol, if it's greed, if it's... The devil don't care what it is. He's trying to find some passion, some desire, some sin that easily besets us, flesh-related, and try to manipulate and, and devour us if, if he can uh, through our flesh. So he doesn't want you to understand this. He doesn't want you to begin to think like this. But I'm telling you some of the most important things that you need to know and understand and live by in your life require that you understand that you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. You are a spirit, you have a mind, emotions, and will. Your soul is the part of you that thinks the part of you that feels, and the part of you that chooses. Pretty important part of us, right? The part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, and the part of you that chooses. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Now, I could tear off right now, and we're going to spend probably at least two classes, if not two and a half classes, uh, because one of the things you are is a three-dimensional being, spirit, soul, and body. So we're going to really dig into this right now. Again, I'm trying to give you the context. The point is you are a spirit being, a spirit being that has a soul, a spirit being that lives in a body with a soul, okay? But the real you, the real you is the spirit. See, because Nicodemus didn't understand this, because Nicodemus did not understand this, he had no uh, capacity to understand being born a second time. Are you following me? Jesus says you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like trying, how in the world is this going to happen? This guy's a nut, right? Because he's not thinking spirit. Certainly not thinking spirit first. What is he thinking first? He's thinking flesh first. He's thinking body first. So he's trying to understand something that's spirit, but from a, a physical or fleshly perspective. 
See, now some of you have been here on Wednesday nights, you don't count, but if you've never been to church at Heritage on a Wednesday night, I'm asking you this question, okay? When's the last time you heard a good sermon on perfected forever? I asked somebody that I have tremendous respect for this, uh, this week, um, and, and they looked at me like a calf looking at a new gate. So what are you, what are you even talking about? Perfected forever? What? You know, it's like, it's this random question Pastor Mark's asking us, right? Okay. What, what would, what, would you believe it if I told you the Bible says if you've been born again, you have been perfected forever? That's what the Bible says. I'm not making this up. Pastor Mark said we're, no, Pastor Mark did not say we're perfected forever. God said. I'm just telling you what he said. He's perfected forever. So then, so now notice what happens. If, if you hear somebody like me say something like that, and you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, your first reaction is, well, I must not be saved. Okay. But see, there is a part of you, if you've been born again, that has been perfected forever. Matter of fact, let me give you the verse. It's Hebrews 10 and 14. For by one offering of himself, Jesus has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. What in the world? Hebrews 10 and 14. I don't know, if it, I don't know but I think that's the title of my new book, Perfected Forever. I don't know. Amen. But that's... That, that one's been with me for a while. Um, there will definitely be some chapters in there on it if it's not the title. Okay. One more time, Hebrews 10 and 14. By one offering of Himself, Jesus offered Himself as a sacrifice for our sin, one sacrifice for all sin for all time. For by one offering of Himself, Jesus has, not will, has, past tense, has perfected, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We've covered in here what being sanctified means. That's, that's this process of our being set apart from, from this world unto God. And that happens uh, um, in our spirit. It also happens in our soul. And then the Bible says it will one day happen in our body. Okay? Three tenses. The Bible says you have been sanctified. You are being sanctified. You will be sanctified. See, if you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, you'll never know what to do with that. But guess what part of you has been? Come on, shout it out, somebody. Your spirit has been. Your soul is being. Your soul wasn't born again. Soul wasn't born again. It's a work in progress. Body is when your salvation will be complete, when this mortal puts on immortality. You have been saved. You are being saved. You will be saved. So there's a part of you, and that's the real you, by the way. See, that's why the devil helps you to understand this. If you don't understand spirit, soul, and body, if you don't understand you are a spirit, you'll never understand anything about salvation to, to really any extent. And some verse like perfected forever, those who are being sanctified, you'll just write it off as, well, that's the book of Hebrews, who can understand that? And, you just, and just kind of move on without ever really. But see, now if you understand I am a spirit, I have a soul, live in a body, my spirit has been perfected forever. It has been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. It's sealed to prevent any sin from ever penetrating it again. His seed abides in me. And and because his seed abides in me, not only do I not sin, I cannot sin. Do you know the Bible says you cannot sin? <laughs> no, see, again, he's not saying that you can't commit a sin in your flesh. He's not saying you can't commit a sin in, in your mind. He's talking about your spirit. So you never understand it. You never understand any of this. That's why the devil never wants you to understand it. You just saying hallelujah back there, brother, you've got a comment or question. It's a, 
what, what do they call it when they take two songs and mash them together? Okay. What a collabor collaboration. Collaboration. Mashup. Is that it? A mashup? So it's one, one thing that I do, and he's talking about some stuff we talk about on Wednesday nights, and I'm sorry, ladies, I'm not trying. It's like me pulling my cell phone out in a Monday morning class. I'm not trying to. I try to hide that thing, right? Okay. So um, do y'all do y'all remember when I asked y'all to try on um, in class one morning uh, to try on my life's not my own to do with as I please I've been bought with the price y'all remember that so I see some of you it's been a while since we did that but you know I walk in a suit store and a really good suit salesman he he looks at me and he he knows matter of fact he's already grabbing a coat off the rack um, my size and he's wanting me to try it on because he knows if he can get me in it and get me in front of a mirror and I look good in it he's going to be a lot closer to making a sale right and so I asked on a Monday morning, I want you guys to try this on, right? My life's not my own to do with this. I please, I've been bought with a price, right? Uh, amen. Uh, when I say try it on, just say it. How does it feel? Say it. Say it a few times. Just say it out loud. Well, we did a version of that on a Wednesday night several weeks ago that I've been perfected forever by the blood of Jesus and I exist in unbroken fellowship with God. And again, so he's asking if that's a verse. It's multiple verses that support, first of all, perfected forever, and then multiple verses that support um, uh, unbroken fellowship. Not just fellowship, but unbroken fellowship. Romans 6, 1, 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 5, uh, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 5. Hebrew. So, yeah, amen. Um, but so part of, part of my job, I know this may sound odd for you, okay? Part of my job, though, is to give you something to say, right? To give you something to say. And so... I'm not changing anything, all right? Uh, this is not like I'm not changing the Word of God. I'm taking, you know, my, again, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, I'm to read the verse and make the sense. And I'll be held accountable before God one day on, you know, if I handle the Word of God deceitfully, if I had a hidden agenda, and so I tried to twist it to make it say what I wanted to say, all that stuff, right? Okay. Um, so this why when I make a... Some type of statement like that. Let's go back to my life's not my own to do with as I please. I've been bought with a price. Well, again, <laughs> the, that's not an exact word for word Bible verse, but that's multiple verses that come to support something very simple for you to understand and think and, and become a seed thought in your mind to help us renew our minds ultimately towards what the fear of God actually is. And that's one of the things the Lord told me. He said that if the fear of God could speak, that's what it would say. You're trying to help people understand the fear of God, and it's like they think, oh, I'm afraid of God. No, the fear of God is, is respect for God. fear of God is recognizing who God is and who we are in relationship to who God is. And so for me to say to God, my life is not my own to do with as I please, that's an expression of the fear of the Lord in my life. And when the Lord was teaching me about the fear of God, and I was in turn teaching it to my congregation that I serve here at, at Heritage, um, that was one of the things that I encouraged everybody to start confessing every morning. Amen. And I'll tell you what happened when I started confessing that. I, I started confessing that uh, because I wanted to learn the fear of God. But the result of that was levels of peace and joy and, and confidence in my life that I had never experienced up until up that point. Because now I realize, you know what, my life really is not my own to do as I please. But I've been bought with a price and I belong to God. Amen. Are you following me? Amen. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He's way more to me than potter. And I'm way more to him than clay. But potter and clay is where our relationship began. And if I ever lose sight of that, I'm in trouble, right? Are you hearing me? Okay, all right. So I spent a long time, Andre, saying that, okay? But um, 
but yeah, Hebrews 10, 14 is perfected forever. Um, Romans 6 is where we find unbroken fellowship, and of course, in, in, other, in other places. All right. So you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a physical body. Yes, please. So, um, the answer would be, I'm assuming you're talking about being baptized in water. Yes. Okay. So there's baptism in water and then there's baptism in the Holy Spirit. I highly recommend both. Okay. But this idea that we need to clean ourselves up before, you follow what I'm saying? Um, we can't clean ourselves up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean... I'm not singling you out, but how's that working for you, sister? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, so what, so what we're, and, and, and please ask me the same thing. How's it working for you, Pastor? You know, because again, um, that, that's the whole point of recognizing, you know what, if it's up to me to save myself, if, if it's up to me to clean myself up, then I'm fixing to die dirty, right? Because I can't do it, all right? So it's, it's surrendering to God and, and recognizing and honoring Him as the one who can help you. Um, it would be, it would kind of be like, and this may be extreme, but I'll, I'll share it anyway. I went, I almost did it and the Holy Spirit kind of brought me back to it. Okay. It would almost be like saying, you know, um, man, I'm feeling really sick. You know, I've been coughing and hacking and, and spitting up stuff and all that, you know, and man, as soon as I get to feeling better, I'm going to go see a doctor. It's, no, no. See that. You see what I'm saying? It's Yeah. And so the whole point of water baptism, and we'll get to this in these classes, but the whole point of water baptism is I've been buried with Christ. I've been raised up together with Him to newness of life. So I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but the water baptism is an outward expression of something that's already taken place inwardly. Your body being going under the water and coming out of the water is basically saying, I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with Christ, I was raised up together with Christ to newness of life because you receive for from Jesus what he's done for you. So if you've received salvation, if you've been born again, that takes place inwardly. And then the outward part is you're saying to those present, identify with Christ from this point forward. I've been buried with him. I've been raised up together with him in the of life. Amen. And then continue to trust him and ask him to help you uh, with other areas in your life that you may still be struggling with. Does that make sense? Okay. And he gives grace to the humble. And so it's very humbling to get in front of a bunch of people and get, get wet. You know what I'm saying? I'm being kind of silly about that, but, you know, it's like, um, you know. But, again, obedience, humility, taking that next step. We grow from faith to faith, from grace to grace, uh, from glory to glory, from grace for grace. So, you know, this would be a really good next step for you as under the Lord. And, and as you're doing it, ask Him, Father, help me with this. I, I want to be clean. I want all this stuff out of my life. Um, and, okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. All right, so praise the name of the living God. It's going to have to be quick, sister, because I'm out of time. Go, go, go. Oh, that's a good question. Praise God. And we talked about this. I don't know how many of you are in these classes, right? But um, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, this is when the Holy Spirit inside of you flows up like rivers and comes out of you. And the initial evidence of that is that you speak in an unknown tongue. And uh, it's for every born-again believer. Uh, it's, it's a glorious thing. 
And so Jesus came to do two things for us. He came to take away our sins, and he came to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. This is why Jesus, is kind of a trivia question, how many people did Jesus baptize in water? The answer is zero. Now, his disciples baptized a lot of people in water, but Jesus did not baptize in water because he didn't come to baptize in water. He came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself was baptized in water, but he didn't baptize anybody. He came to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. Praise God. All right. Man, I'm out of time, not out of stuff. 648. We've got to finish here and go ramp back up in there. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you, Father, for their hunger, their desire. Thank you for their questions, Lord, for their, their comments, their inputs. Lord, thank you for just, Lord, it's just good. It's just good to be with you. It's good to be in this room. It's a good place uh, where the Spirit of God is. And, and I pray that we're all refreshed and energized. Our bodies may be tired, Father, but our, our spirits are, are, are renewed and, and, and our inward man uh, is, is growing stronger day by day. Uh, Lord, may everything we touch prosper for your glory. May you reveal yourself to us in personal and meaningful ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, know that you love. Thank you for being here. Uh, good things coming.